0: Great for the Lord, to the Lord, for blessings on his word. Let's take a moment to ask for that. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word may be a blessing to us as we receive it and as we respond to it, as it's read and as it's ministered and as we take it from this place to wherever we go to serve your name, as well as praising you while we are here your Spirit so work for us in that way, and in us that way. For the sake of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. We're going to be picking up a portion of God's Word from the New Testament today, from Ephesians 4, 17-24. Did you notice in the your bulletins, I, <clears throat> I'm taking some pause from looking at the uh, exploits of David out of 1 Samuel. Lord willing, we'll take a look at that again some more uh, at a later date, Um, but I suppose you know by now in the years that you've been with me, I I try not to stay too long in too many places or in certain places, and I also want to keep a balance between preaching from the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, and so uh, we're going to be taking a look over the course of the next seven weeks, the Lord willing, or the next seven times we'll be preaching here in the morning. Uh, On some passages that the New Testament writers, where the New Testament writers use the word therefore, uh, because, uh, and as we look at those, we recognize that there's application coming. Uh, There's uh, calls to action, there's calls to faith, there's calls to having the right kind of perspective as we address things in a Christian way, and so they can be a very uh, practical portion that we read. All of God's word is profitable to us to that end, but these are especially ones that seem to uh, show forth that kind of uh, application, and we find that here uh, as as well that we take up this. So we take up this portion uh, of God's word from Ephesians four uh, verses seventeen through twenty four. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. and I'm going to continue to read here because therefore actually comes into play right here. But this is where we're going to be picking up next time as we look. Therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands. As God in Christ forgave you. So we'll uh, stop there in our reading and uh, pray that God's word may be of a blessing to us this morning. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would imagine our boys and girls, if they have to cut something at school or have to cut something at home, Don't ask mom and dad or don't ask their teacher if they don't happen to have a a pair of these. Uh, They don't ask their moms and dads, can you get me a scissor? It's probably a a pair of scissors or a scissors that they would ask about. And when they're getting a scissors, they are thinking to themselves, no doubt, that they're going to get two blades. They're not going to say to their moms and dads, well, no, 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 this is a very easy cut, so just... Just give me one blade of the scissor this time. One scissor is enough. No, I need to have both blades to cut. Anybody who's trying to do that knows that they need double blades. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to accomplish what you need to do. And that's the truth about the calling that the apostle gives to us about the the sanctified life that He calls us to live in light of God's grace to us, in Jesus. We're going to look at how the apostle this morning has called the church of Jesus Christ to be different as the new Israel that God has made the church to be, as he calls us to walk in a better way of life. And that has a negative and a positive element to it. There's a double-bladed element to this. And you see it in the points that we have in the sermon, but it's also going to be illustrated also in the second point itself, even more uh, illustratively. You might say it's going to be even more that that thought's going to come out even more in that second point. But we're going to take a look then at the better way of life to which we're called to walk. And negatively speaking, it's not the way of the Gentiles. And positively, uh, positively speaking, it is the way of Christ. So we see that the better way of Christ is not in the way of the Gentiles, says our passage. And that it is in the way of Christ. We we focus first on on that the better way of life is not by way of the Gentiles. Now this I say in testifying to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And here we find the, the Apostle as he's doing this, speaking in terms of application to what he's already previously taught. It's a conclusion to be made. The various members of the church are meant to build up the unity of the church, to draw church people closer together like like in the social examples that are going to follow in the book of Ephesians. Even the children have a role to play in that as you go on in reading the book and the letter of the Ephesians. Ephesians 6, of uh, verses 1 through 4, we see that role come out because they're covenant children. In response to the word, all those in those social examples are called in response to the word to be all the more united under one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And because edifying the edifying of the church in this loving, united way is so important, Paul is making, as we hear here, a solemn testimony of truth, doesn't he? I say and testify in the Lord. This is important. He makes the solemn testimony of truth before God that as the new Israel of God, the the new covenant people of God, created in Christ Jesus, as he speaks about in Ephesians 2, we are not to live like those who are not part of the church. We're not to live like Gentiles. We're part of the holy church, united in Christ, for the sake of God's people, for the uniting love, uh, for, God, for, for, for the uniting love for God's people, and especially because we are God's people, we are not to live like Gentiles, even though physically we might be Gentiles. <laughs> living like and being a part of God's people must be different and better than living like and being part of the world. Otherwise, why would the Apostle Paul swear to people to see that that's true? Living like and being part of God's people must be different and better than living like and being part of the world. (laughs) He speaks in a way that our society, society would think is odd. Maybe even offensive, but true. Because he's speaking here of an inferior way of living and a superior way of living. You ought not to live like the Gentiles, but you ought to live like Christ. And in our day and age, as, as we are often taught in a politically correct world, we can't speak about inferior ways of living and superior ways of living. All we are supposed to do is speak about alternative ways of living. Because if you talk about inferior and superior, well, you're a bigot. And you're prejudiced. And you're discriminatory. And if you decide not to get married, but decide just to live together... Or, or, or you have if you have a different view to marriage than one woman to one man, then you have not made a wrong choice, you see. you've made a lifestyle choice. That doesn't that sound so much so much better. So much fluffier, so much more legitimate. And if you have a belief system that's different from Christianity, then that system is just as good. If there's a system that should not be tolerated, it's Christianity because it claims that only Christ can save and that only Christ is Lord of all and only he should be emulated and and, and only the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is God, will be God, and has been God. And so in the world of tolerance whoops, we can't all be tolerant, can we? We tolerate it. We can't tolerate everything. And that's true. At least to say it this way, there's got to be something that's wrong, and there's got to be something that's right. It can't all be right. Something has to be wrong. Something has to be right even those who want to say, well, we're going to tolerate everything. They're not going to tolerate Christianity. Because Christianity says there's right and wrong. There's one Lord. There's one God. There's a better way to live. The Gospel says then that if you become part of the church because of Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if you keep going back into the letter of Ephesians, and by the electing and merciful love of God the Father, then it doesn't make sense for you to live like a spiritual Gentile anymore. That's the old way. And you've been recreated... As the passage concludes, in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holy way, uh, holiness. You're not going to be living in the inferior way. That's not how the new covenant people of God act. That's not how the Church of Christ lives. And so, Paul wants us to be thinking here about moving forward in faith and imitating what one should be imitating. And it's not the world, and it's not the world's culture, but Christ. Not backward into paganism, but forward into the realm of God's gracious covenant and covenant people in Jesus Christ, the Church of Christ. And we're not always so sensitive to to that thinking, which is why, of course, the apostle had to write about it. But we're not always so sensitive to thinking that it is because we're a part of the people of God and for the sake of the people of God that we should be living like the people of God. As we're called to obey the word of God. Living is, is not about how we impact others. It's, it's about how it impacts me. Or how I can stay... Up with the world, stay in step with the world, or, or what the world thinks is important. And the Church of Jesus Christ is sometimes blind to that, unfortunately. And I talk about that in general terms about the church, but but how much that the world and the and the culture that is out there impacts what the church thinks and confesses. But to think that I must keep the church community in mind because I'm part of that holy community called to be a blessing to her serving the Lord above all, that's not a natural way of thinking. And yet even the reigning Christ reigns, we hear in Ephesians 1, for the good of the church. And he sought and he seeks to be a benefit to the church. He seeks to be a value, a value to his bride, the church, as he prepares her for glory. He seeks to build up the church, and and that is what we need to keep in mind as well when we see ourselves as part of the covenant community. We imitate Christ that way in our lives. But what is exactly this way of the Gentiles anyway? Paul says that it is an empty or a futile way or an unfulfilling way of living. Don't walk in the as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It's a chasing after the wind. It's a chasing after all the all kinds of things, but being left disappointed. See, because there's futility in the end. It's fruitless. It seeks to promise much, but it doesn't give anything. It's unrewarding in the end. Never able to provide substantial purpose, you see, to one's life. It's futile. And in the process of that pursuit, the things that really matter, which Paul emphasizes in this letter... Church, God's praise, God's obedience, family, marriage, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our children, productivity, harmony with God, building harmony in church, home, marriage, even work with Christian principles and priorities and perspective. All that falls by the wayside in the way Gentiles think. Those aren't important. Those don't matter. They matter to God. They ought to matter to us. But to the world, it doesn't. And so often one sees that happening, right? You can see it in the entertainment business a lot, in and, and all facets of it, right? Athletically, on the stage, on the screen, on all levels. People become famous. Uh, They get followed by all kinds of people on Twitter or what they call X now, I guess. And they make scads of money and they become champions. And uh, yet, can they maintain a healthy family? Or do they even want to? Or do they have time for their children or even have them? (laughs) Do they have a church family? Most oftentimes not. And oftentimes drugs and drunkenness rule their lives and they chase whatever they desire but at what cost? It's often at the cost of their families and farthest from their minds is the worship and the honor of God in Jesus Christ. It's not the life of Christ. It's not the way of Christ. Who's the better way to live? And our passage says, That what ends up happening is that on the one hand there's a hardness about them and this callousness about them where where their consciences have no pangs or pains are are there, but at the same time feelings everything. Life is, is nothing without stimulation for them. And they're greedy for it, says our passage. Whether it is the chasing after women or men or after other immoralities or gaining the latest thrill or living off the accolades accolades of others or sucking in the drink of power or living the high life to spur them on through life. But their minds, we read, are darkened and they don't even know it. You know, knowing that one is blind physically is most challenging, even if you're starting to notice that your eyesight isn't what it used to be. And that's a bit of sobering, isn't it? But Paul says that walking in spiritual darkness without even being aware is worse. Spiritually blind or greedy for what's empty, what's futile, what doesn't matter? What doesn't help? And they poke around in the darkness. And they wander through life. And Paul says to the church of Jesus Christ, that's, that's just not what you learned about Christ. That isn't what he taught you. That isn't the way that Christ was, and that isn't what Christ wants you to be. You know, People sometimes like to make Jesus out to be things that he wasn't. In the entertainment world, they like to make him out like he was a polygamist, but he never was. We get our testimony from Scripture. We know that Jesus was the epitome of selflessness. And he, why did he do it? Why did he do it? He did it to bring a people together for himself from all parts of the world. He is our peace, Paul says earlier in the letter. And he does it from all times of history. And he did that to save a people who couldn't save themselves. And he did did that to fulfill God's plans from eternity of calling a people together to himself. And he did that so that in light of his selflessness for us, he might make a people whom he has saved, but also that they might be like him. Who would want then... They want to do whatever they can to draw closer to each other in the church and closer together in their families and even their workplaces. Church, marriage, family, workplaces. Those are the things that Paul addresses. Those are things that, that God has called us to be in places. Church, family, work. These are the things that God has called Called us to be. He's instituted those places. The places that matter. And even in this day and age, people like to speak in the name of Christ that came so that that he came so that we could live like we want to live. And the apostle would say, you didn't learn Christ that way either. That he embraces all kinds of ways of living. And that's what diversity is today, in many people's eyes. What's politically correctly called alternative lifestyles, and the push for more people to see not only that that these are alternatives, but that these are really the only really good ways to live. So that evil's good and good is evil. And Paul says that's not what Jesus taught you. That is not what he intended and not what he has called Christ's church to be. Our passage reminds us that when churches back then taught Christ, they taught Christ was at the center of what was heard and what was taught. The truth about people, about God, about salvation, about how One was supposed to live, was centered in Jesus. And that's why messages, no matter what their theme, have to have a Christ centered thrust. We can't just teach people to be moral, it has to be in light of what brings the therefore, the application about what Christ has done and about who we are in Christ and about the different people we are to be in Christ and because of Christ who came to draw people to God and to each other in Christ. Because otherwise we teach morality, that lacks power and purpose, purpose and a therefore. A reason why. Whatever truths are taught, they have to be taught in the sphere of what Christ has taught in truth and did in truth. And so the passage says that instead of living in the way of the Gentiles, we are to live in the way of our Christ, who's the head of the covenant community, the church of Jesus Christ. We're to desire the new man, who is Christ. Where we live in accordance with what is right and holy in accordance with what he commands and what is reverentially different from the world. This is the second point. Paul says it happens through a daily conversion unto God. And and this is something, as I was looking at it myself, I just thought, you know, this, this is a great way to look at life. Because it makes every day a fresh one. Because every day is to be a day of renewal for us when we're in Jesus. All people are called to a basic conversion when they put off the old and put on the new unto a faith in Christ, as Savior and Lord. But there's this daily conversion to which we're called where we put off clothes that are dirty and we put on those which are clean. We're to put off our old self which belongs to our former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. There's this daily conversion to which we're called. You know, in our day and age, we can appreciate that. Because that's what the language is like. The language is, you're putting on and putting off, it's like taking off your dirty clothes and putting on new ones. And 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 we can appreciate that kind of illustration because it's it's rarely that we like the idea of wearing clothes more than a day without changing into something clean. Maybe sometimes as guys we like to kind of keep things on or use the same stuff, but you know your wives know that they don't like that so much, and so you tell they tell you you know you ought to put something else on, right? We. And overall, we like the idea of wearing clothes that are clean rather than dirty. And that's the idea here. Every day is not meant for you and me to be a drab, dirty day. But rather a sparkling, spiritually cleansing day in Christ. Daily we find ourselves disgusted with the idea that evil is good and good is evil. And we're seeking daily to shed what's dirty and evil in our lives and to put on what is new and clean. And that's a great way to start each day, isn't it? It's a great reason to get up in the morning. That every day we want to be seen less like the world and more like Christ. Less like Adam and more like Jesus. What better, what better way to start the day? Right? I mean, not even thinking so much, well, I gotta go out and I gotta do chores, or I gotta go out and I gotta, uh, fix the car, or I gotta go out and I have to, whatever, go to school. But every day I get to start the day. Thinking, I want to be seen less like the world and more like Jesus. We don't want to be the old man. Or the old woman. But no, I think it's better if you may put it the way it says it in the scripture. We don't want to be Adam. We want to be Christ. We want to be the new man in our lives, in Christ. Christ himself, the Christ we learn. That's what we want to be when we get up in the morning. And so from a practical point of view, it is, there are do's and don'ts. Some say that Christianity isn't about do's and don'ts. Now, uh, that leaves a false impression of Christianity. Certainly we're saved by what Christ did, and him alone. And not what we did. And that way, yeah, it's not do's and don'ts. It's what Christ has done and didn't do. We're saved by grace. But in the way of sanctification, it is about do's and don'ts in light of his grace. We come to see the deceit of the old man, and we don't want it. Money's not going to save us. So we don't want to think that. dishonoring marriage is not to our profit, so we don't want to do that. Staying away from worship is not to our advantage. It's not. We don't want to do that. If I disrespect my parents, boys and girls, or your teachers, or those in authority, life's not going to go well for you. It's not. If I hate or steal or I'm rough with my words, I am not being what I was created to be, and certainly not what I was recreated to be in Jesus. Today's a day for me to remove those dirty spiritual clothes and put on clean ones. My calling is to see myself as somebody who was created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's to put on the new man and the renewing of my mind. I take on a different attitude in my mind. I don't follow the way of the world, but the way of the word. And the world might think I am a fool. Let them. That doesn't matter. Because what matters is what God thinks about what I'm doing. It's not that I would just stop doing things, but also that I will be doing things that the Lord would have me do. It's not just that I should be doing things that God wants me to be doing, but to stop doing things that the Lord doesn't want me to be doing. And this is where that two-bladed scissors comes into play, isn't it? If you have but one blade, you won't cut the paper. But if you have them both, then you will and every single day we're called to see to it that we have two blades to our scissors. And to heed the calling, let's stop doing what's wrong and let's be doing what we ought to do in Christ, and like Christ, and for Christ. And to bring greater harmony to the places that matter. Like our churches. Like our marriages, like our families, like our work sites, right? But it's like what Christ would say later: the battle isn't in those areas. Our battle is against evil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We shouldn't be battling there. We should be harmonizing there by fighting sin, putting it off in our old in our old. Putting off the old self and putting on the new. And every day we get a chance to do that as Christians. Next time we get together, we'll speak more about how this gets fleshed out. With the therefore that begins in Ephesians 4.25. And I mean by next next Sunday morning, not tonight. Tonight, of course, we're looking at the building. But in the meantime, we can take up the challenge that we have to live our lives, not for ourselves, and not like the Gentiles do, but for the sake of God and his church to which we're called to be a part in Christ Jesus. That's a better way to live. The way of Christ versus the way of the Gentiles. But also in the way that we live tomorrow versus how we live today. Fresh way to live. Taking off what's dirty. Putting on what's clean. For the sake of Christ, for the sake of the harmony in the spheres in which God's called us to live every day. When we have found our salvation in Jesus and our calling. Our calling to, to harmony. In the church of Jesus Christ, in all the ways, he's called you and me to harmonize. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word may be a blessing to us, having received it, that we would see the gospel as that which transforms our lives, so that we might live refreshed lives, renewed lives, every day as we see get up in the morning to start another day to live less like the world and to live more like Jesus. We pray that you'd accept our prayers for Jesus' sake.